Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, where we seek to simplify big ideas on faith, life, and leadership by having conversations with those who know stuff to help simplify things for the rest of us. Well, welcome to episode number 30 of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer. I'm the host, and I hope that this conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact in your life. Today, we are talking about Mormonism or as it's commonly known as the Latter-day Saints. Uh, Who are they? What do they believe? Are the LDS and other Christians the same? What are the misconceptions that evangelicals have about the LDS? And what are the misconceptions the LDS have about uh, evangelicals? And a whole host of other questions are what we're going to be talking about today today. My guest with me today is David Rowe. David is an evangelical Christian who felt a strong call not to slam doors, but to open doors to his Mormon neighbors. Uh, He has spent much of his career and life trying to find the best way and the most helpful and healthy way to engage Um, Mormons and Christians on matters of faith and the Bible. David works and he lives in Utah and he has published a book entitled, I Love Mormons. So here's my conversation with David Rowe. Well, I'm... uh... I'm thrilled. I'm really excited to have uh, David on our podcast. David, I am so excited to have you on our podcast. I just want to say welcome. Well, the privilege is mine, for sure. Um, well, David, um, some of the people um, who listen uh, may know um, may know who you are for a book you wrote, but uh, I have a feeling that there's uh, many who may not know who you are, but after our conversation will want to know uh, know you. Um, can you share a little bit about who you are, you know, your story, and you wrote a book on Mormonism or the Latter-day Saints, um, and I would love for you to kind of unpack um, what got you interested um, in the Latter-day Saints. Okay, uh, my personal background has no uh, family association with um, Mormons or the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I grew up as a he had born in Montana and grew up in my early boyhood in Texas, uh, received Jesus Christ into my life at a, a pretty early age. Uh, I was a great schooler. Um, and uh, then grew from there into, uh, over the years, into a disciple of Jesus with varying degrees of knowing what that means. Uh, you know, how much does a child understand? You can... Um, you can. Some of your listeners maybe will um, understand what I'm saying if I say I'm a kind of a recovering fundamentalist. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think our brand of Christian faith was pretty fundamentalistic. I I was not allowed to learn to square dance when I went to school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, all dancing was seen as some kind of foreplay or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. It was very suspect. <laughs> I, uh, by temperament and by family um, kind of um, style, nurturing even, uh, the Roe family, more than one member, my dad and his and my uncle, and people would call themselves perfectionists. And I only came to know in adult, young adulthood that that was just really toxic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I am a perfectionist by temperament. That means I associate with um, 
I identify, I should say, with the older son in the prodigal son's story. Oh, yeah. Um, the guy that stayed at home and did it right. <laughs> yeah. and police the world and especially all those who don't do it right. That's what perfectionists do. And but it's toxic because it destroys relationships with people. Mm, wow. um, the other thing you can I can tell you is when I was studying uh, theology in seminary at Denver Seminary, and then met my wife, we married, and we um, were committed to doing some kind of mission work. And I am missional. And some of that was scripted by my parents who gave me the middle name Livingston. Mm, okay. So David Livingston Rowe. <laughs> um, and we, uh, as best we could sense God's call, uh, saw him leading us to Utah to settle here in Salt Lake City. And so uh, being missional by, uh, by a sense of calling, uh, being a missionary, and then settling here, it's, well, it's the territory. I mean, I moved among Mormons, I, and I, I had to realize, well, I better learn, learn what these people are all about. I, I better learn to know these people. And if I read my Bible correctly, I, I need to learn to love them, uh, to love them as neighbors and friends and um, you know, people of this group and this, this kind of tribal group, if I might put it that way. So that's kind of that's kind of it. I I moved here. We have started our family here and have lived here ever since. We came here in 1975. So I've had a 46-year journey of wow. relating to LDS people, uh, sometimes well and a lot of times not so well. I bungled it a lot in the early years, um, not knowing very well how to relate to them, arguing a lot with them. Hmm doing what they call the Bible bash, <laughs> which gets you exactly nowhere <laughs> yeah. with these people. But I've learned a few lessons um, and watched people who have done it much better than me and learned from them and about how to do evangelism, uh, reach, reaching LDS people for Christ. And I've learned some lessons and I, at one point, had a chance to put those in a book, and voila, there we are. <laughs> That's what happened uh, with the forthcoming of I Heart Mormons in 2005. Yeah, yeah, and um, David, it is an incredible book. It's it's a rich book. It's um, it's a really, really, really helpful and informative book, and I have it right here. Um, if anybody wants to uh, to get it, it's I Love Mormons, subtitled A New Way to Share uh, Christ with Latter-day Saints. And uh, man, it's been fantastic. This is a this is a, this is a new copy, and I, I haven't even read it um, yet because um, I've had to keep buying new ones so I can have it on my shelf because I keep giving it away when anybody uh, comes in and and has questions um, for me about Mormonism and uh, the Latter Day Saints. This is this is my go-to book to give to people because it is that good. Well, thank um, you for that, and I'm sure Baker Bookhouse thanks you too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, in your book, um, David, you you devote um, quite a bit of time to um, making the case that as evangelicals, that we should view the Latter Day Saints people more as a culture than you know a lot of Christians would say as a cult. Um, could you unpack that? Um, what do you mean by that? And you know, what are the benefits of seeing 
um, the LDS faith from this vantage point? Well, in my mind, that's an act of intentionality to um, shift from one way of looking at these people to another way. Hmm. Um, and the way I sometimes characterize it is if we're going to relate to them in a way that brings the good news to them, and, and we speak that good news in a way that sounds like good news to their mm -hmm. ears, then we need to put our missionary hats on. And, and for many of us Christians, uh, because of the kind of training we have uh, about movements like the Mormon church, we've had our theologian hats on yeah. and we analyze it theologically. We look at their belief system and say, well, it doesn't line up with the Bible, therefore it's heretical. And we pronounce them a cult. If you only look through the lens of a th theologian or you have your theological hat on, uh, you can easily come to that conclusion. And I don't necessarily dispute it. It does have uh, beliefs that are not biblical. They don't, they aren't, they don't come from the Bible. And, um, and sure, if we only look at it theologically, I'm asking us to look at it missiologically, uh, put my missionary hat on, and it allows me to think bigger and broader and more holistically about LDS people than I can if I just analyze their doctrine. When we go analytical, that's the first sign that we have not understood the Mormon people, because mm. they, don't, they don't think analytically so much about spiritual things. It, they do very little of that kind of thinking. So I encourage us, instead of that, to think like missionaries think all over the world. And, and they've done this historically. A missionary goes to a, a place in Indonesia or New Guinea or, or some African country or something, and, and they work among a, a people group, maybe a tribe, and they learn the ways of that tribe and learn what it is to build bridges into the cultural um, uh, value system, uh, life ways, uh, habits, customs, learn to build bridges into that people group, and then across those bridges, they carry the gospel. Uh, they, in other words, learn to speak the cultural language of the people they work among. Sure. And that's what I'm asking us to do with LDS people, to learn to speak Mormonese, if you okay. will, okay. so that um, the good news is told in a way that sounds like good news to them in a way that they know how to listen to, uh, speaking within their frame of reference, uh, their cultural frame. So that's kind of what drives the book and making that distinction. Um, let's view them as a culture. Um, they, they are listed with a big long article in the Harvard Encyclopedia of Ethnic Groups. They're listed as an ethnic group. Okay, I didn't know uh, that. We ought to take that seriously. <clears throat> An ethnic group has a culture of its own. It's identified, you know, it identifies itself as a, with a certain culture. Um, a tribal group, you know, for example, will have, you know, the, the trademarks of a culture. And that is um, things like, oh, a boundary of around them that, between, that separates us from them you know, who we are from the rest of the world, maybe a set of marriage practices. Does that ring any bells in, you know, the Mormon history? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, rites of passage, what you do at different parts of your life. Hmm. Uh, you know, religious beliefs, certainly beliefs about God and 
what God expects of us and what God offers us and what kind of God this is we're talking about, all of this. And Mormonism is an ethnic group with its own culture. It's a religionized culture for sure, but it, it's, a, it's a cultural group. So let's, let's relate to them that way. And I think you'll find that it'll be much more winsome than just analyzing their belief system and then telling them how wrong they are. Right, right. <laughs> Which is traditionally what a lot of Christians do. Which is never effective for anybody, right? I mean, even you know, um, evangelical to evangelical. If it for me, if it begins on this kind of argumentative, analytical note, and I know that your goal is simply to prove me wrong and not even give me a listening ear, man, that's I'm not I'm not willing to engage in that because I know it's just a dead end street, you know. So you never worked well. for anybody. <laughs> you said that very well, Skylar. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you unpacking that, and uh, that I mean, it's 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 so good um, to 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 see it that way, and it's it's very helpful, you know, in in having conversations. And so I want to, I guess, shift gears a little bit. Um, I mean, talking about culture, there's a, there's a rich history uh, with the Latter Day Saints, um, and so for those who may not be aware of. Um, I'm guessing most people know who they are, but maybe not a whole lot of the history that kind of goes into that. Can you give us an overview of who they are, um, what's their origin, and, and maybe a few kind of key beliefs and, and or values uh, for them? Well, uh, the movement started uh, in New England, uh, upstate New York, um, Palmyra, New York, to be more specific the young boy named Joseph Smith Jr. Mormonism, the Mormon church is a spin-off, I would say, of um, New England Protestant church movements. Yeah. It uh, is in some ways uh, like them and some ways not. Um, the founding story of Mormonism tells us this uh, young boy had a vision, uh, praying to try to uh, find out, well, what church should I join and asking God to show him. And uh, God appeared to him. Uh, actually, in a, in a personal appearance, he would say, in a sacred grove, as they tell the story. And uh, actually, two personages appeared, and they like that word personage. <laughs> okay. These are um, human figures they look just like us because they have bodies as tangible as ours. And he found out that that was the Heavenly Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what they believe uh, launched their movement, this vision. And then later a church was formed around it in 1830. And the same year that the Book of Mormon was published, which they claim to be another scripture that testifies about Jesus Christ and, um, and so the church grew from there in the early decades pretty fast. Mm. It grew from just 100 people in 1830 to 1,200, only two years later. Wow. And then they moved to different places in the country. From New York, um, they moved to uh, Missouri and Ohio and Illinois. Um, I guess you're not located anywhere near Nauvoo or Carthage, <laughs> which are famous Mormon sites, of course, historically, the places they settled. Uh, every place they settled, um, 
they had conflict with their neighbors and then kept moving. They will say it's because of persecution. Um, historians will look at that and say, well, sometimes it was persecution, but sometimes it was conflict and hmm. sometimes initiated by the Mormons themselves. So, <laughs> so it's not all just persecution, but they, they tell the story to say we're a persecuted people because as we came across the country, settling in different places, we were not accepted. Hmm. Um, they developed their own uh, beliefs that were aberrant or a departure from biblical teachings. Uh, so let me give you just a, a couple of those at the core. Yeah. One is the nature of God. Who is God? I would say relative to the God of the Bible that we understand they have a domesticated God. Okay. Uh, this God is a humanoid, has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as ours. They call him Heavenly Father, so they use the same language that we okay. do, but, but they are not describing the same God that we find in the Bible. So he's kind of domesticated down to our level. They, in fact, believe that we are the same species as God. Mm. Okay. We come from an eternal spiritual family and who has a sojourn on the earth. And God did the same thing before us, you know, in a former uh, dispensation of time and became God. All of us can become a God if we work hard enough at it in the next life and uh, in, in eternity. So God is a very different, different kind of um, figure than we find in, in the Bible. A second thing is they would say they have a gospel of, they might even say they teach in their gospel that um, one is um, saved by grace, but they would mean something different from the term saved. And their notion of grace is not unconditional. It, it is what they would call conditional grace. Hmm. You need to take your responsibility to do your part to follow the laws and ordinances of God. And then God's grace will enable you or help you or kick in kind of like a pedal assist on a, on an electric bicycle. <laughs> okay. The power kicks in after you start pedaling. <laughs> it's sort of like that, but it's conditional grace. You need to do your part first. And of course, then we, we would look at that and say, well, there's no gospel in that because how do we know when we've done enough of our part? Yeah. Will we ever really achieve that? level so it leaves us on different terms uh, the bible of course teaches the gospel of grace yeah. we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone mm -hmm. so um those are two two different things uh we could even find focus in and look at the person of jesus christ they certainly have someone they call jesus christ they use the same name they would say he's the same guy that we find on the pages of our New Testament, and they share belief in him and love for him. They certainly proclaim their love for Jesus Christ. But their understanding of Jesus Christ is quite different from the Bible's understanding, I would say. So there's a distinctive thing there. They would see him as our elder brother. He went ahead of us. By his power, we are resurrected physically from death, but it, go, it doesn't go beyond that necessarily. Okay. Uh, beyond that, he shows us the way to be approved by the Father and to progress in, in, in what they call an eternal progression. 
And their gospel is essentially a system of eternal progression where we get better and better. And if we work hard enough, we become gods over our own planets uh, in the next life. So that's that's a kind of a, a basic thing. I hope that helps. Yeah. Um, and maybe a little that was a little bit of history, very brief. Um, and then a few of the beliefs that we find in the LDS uh, religious system. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's um, pretty different than if you understand the historical, you know, um, traditions and teachings of Christianity about, you know, the gospel of grace, um, the divinity of Jesus and, you know, uh, you know, sin sinful nature and, and, and stuff like that. So a lot of people don't necessarily know. They, they know um, Latter-day Saints, Mormons. Um, likely they know um, where they can find a... Um, uh, one of their churches in their town. They don't know a lot about the history, maybe don't even know a lot about what they believe, but they certainly have a lot of ideas about that. And a lot of those, I mean, it goes both ways. A lot of those are misconceptions. Um, can you um, break down maybe some of the common misconceptions that, you know, evangelicals have about Latter-day Saints and, and vice versa, Latter-day Saints with evangelicals? Yeah, um, number one uh, misunderstanding that evangelicals have about Mormons is that they only see them and hear them on the surface, and so they don't scratch deep enough, and so there is what I would call the illusion of sameness. That hmm. is that these people are in a you know a religious movement that um, has a few odd ideas about it maybe but they're essentially christians like us and lds okay. people in the current era are very much trying from the leadership down to mainstream as we call it or become perceived as mainstream christians um, they want to be called christians now that's a 180 opposite approach from what they where they started <laughs> yeah, yeah. It started in a way that they wanted to be very distinct and and uh, and very clear that they're not Christians. Uh, they're, they're different. Well, so a misconception is they talk about Jesus. They love Jesus. Um, they they do accept the Bible as scripture. Um, they call themselves Christians. Uh, Christ, Jesus Christ is in the, in the name of their church. All of those symbolic things that, as I say, are just scratching the surface, give the impression that yeah. they are the same as us, that they are Christians, maybe just with a few variants here and there. Um, so that's a, that's a misunderstanding evangelicals have about LDS people. Um, what about um, LDS misunderstandings of of Christianity one what I would say there is that they would perceive Christians very typically as being the same as them but not having quite as much information or let's use the the term they would want to use revelation oh, okay so they would say you know um, we are like you and you're like us um, but we have some added information. We have the same information that you have about who God is and what he expects of us and what is his gospel, but, but we have a little more. 
<laughs> we have the same thing, but a little more. So in a sense, it's their version of the, the, the kind of illusion of sameness. Okay. Um, they would say, we have some revelation we, we need to add. It's a little like saying, well, we're all in the same thing, but uh, you're in high school, you know, we're both, we're both in education, but you're in high school and we're on, in graduate school. <laughs> we have a, a little more developed understanding of what was originally talked about in the Bible. And now we have new scriptures that have added things to the Bible. And so it's a, an, um, a further picture of the same thing you have. Rather than, I'd say, a more accurate analysis, if we're willing to scratch below the surface, that no... It's not the same thing, but more of it. It's a very different, it's a very different religion, period. It's a little bit like, more like Christian, uh, like um, comparing Christianity to Greek mythology. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's that kind of different. <laughs> okay. All right. The, 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 the tricky part is we use the same terminology yeah. for so much of what we describe as our worldview and our beliefs. And that's what's tricky. We, we, we have the same labels. <laughs> we use the term Jesus Christ. We use Heavenly Father. We use grace. We use born again. All the same. But, you know, but they're filled up with different meanings. You know, and there, I mean, there's a, there's a sense of like with, um, with the New Testament, we don't, there, there, there hasn't been this inclination of we need more. You know, we don't we don't need any further revelation. All of that is fully revealed in uh, in the New Testament, and so exactly. um, so I guess yeah, there's kind of that misconception, you know, at, at that level too. Um, so okay, your book it, it's titled a or subtitled "A New Way to Share Jesus Christ with Latter Day Saints." Um, first question is. Um, what what's new? You know what's the new approach? And then second question is: This was you published this in two thousand five. Um, this is two thousand twenty one. Has anything changed uh, for you since this book was published? Uh, I I love your uh, questions. Um, probably the second one is is very intriguing to me. The first one is pretty easy to answer, but the, the second one is a challenging question and a very good one. <laughs> I appreciate you. Asking it, and it made me have to think about, <laughs> about this. But the first question about, well, what is new about this new way to share Christ with life? Historically, the literature that Christians write about um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and um, its beliefs and all is is countercult literature. It is based on what, well, to use a heady term, uh, you know, a kind of a uh, scholastic term it's the heresy rationalist approach to apologetics okay. that is we, we hunt for heresies in their system proclaim their heresies and uh, that that they are wrong and then we expect you know the people that believe those teachings to repent <laughs> hmm. and not all they really do is react um, and usually this countercult approach saying here's what mormons believe here's what christians believe uh, the Bible supports what Christians believe, but it doesn't support what Mormons believe. Therefore, uh, you know, that they're all wrong and they need to correct their bad doctrine. This is based on the head, uh, addressing issues of what's in our heads. You know, let's straighten out the bad thinking. 
Um, but my approach is missional and it is not oriented to the head, it is oriented to the heart. Mm. And the reason is that Mormon people are not head people, they're heart people. They don't primarily engage the spiritual realm through their heads, through having oh. correct ideas. Okay. They, they engage uh, spiritual things through the heart. How do you feel about this? What feelings are, is, the, is God giving you about this? Um, uh, so uh, so I, 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 my approach is let's realize who these people are give up the kind of countercult approach and take on, put our, as I said earlier, put our missionary hats on and think in terms of how these people process reality. They talk about their love for God and their love for Christ. And in a respectful way, we have an alternate gospel, something different from them. But we need to learn to talk about our gospel in ways that register with how they're listening. Hmm. And tune in on their wavelength. And what I mean by that is we need to engage them on, on the level of the heart. Um, yeah. Not be afraid of our emotions. Speak about our love life with Jesus and talk about that very openly with them. Pray in front of them in a way that shows your intimacy with Christ. I mean, I trust that if you pray regularly and you talk to the Lord, you're in touch with him. And you have that intimacy. It's not, it's not a show. It's just who we are. And so learning to deal in narrative, um, I often use parables um, with LDS people, uh, you know, narrative forms, song and story, uh, music ministers powerful because that's heart language, mm. right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if we can wrap up, wrap the gospel in that heart language, that is what I'm talking about. Um, uh, and that is what will allow them to hear the good news in a way that sounds like good news. Now, would I change anything since the book came out <laughs> in my approach? Um, there's a no and a yes to that. My, my first answer is, the, is no. And, and I think that's probably the bottom line. I don't think I would change anything cardinal, anything at the core of what I was saying about it because I haven't seen that um, the audience I'm talking to this ethnic group called Mormons has significantly changed. But the yes part is, yes, I have to change some things by, ne by necessity because looking at Mormon culture and Mormon people is to look at a, at a moving target mm. because like, like all cultures, uh, it changes through time. Sure. So there are things about the Mormon church that are different now than, than they were uh, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, so, so for example, let me give you just a couple little examples. There's a softening of language uh, about the, we are the one true church. Historically, Mormons will say that. Okay. The formulaic phrase. We belong to the one true church. There is no other church of Jesus Christ on the face of the earth that is the true church of Jesus Christ, just ours. And they mean the institutional Mormon church. Now, that's a historic thing. Nowadays, 
I very, very seldom hear them talk that way. And they want to be perceived as mainstream Christians. So they've dropped a lot of that language. Oh, interesting. The challenge still needs to be on the table, uh, you know, to say to them, in effect, well, you want all of us to call you Christians. You want to be perceived as Christians. Are you Christians along with the rest of us? Or are you the only Christians? Because the one true church language would seem to claim you're the only ones. <laughs> yeah. So have you given that up? And that's, that's, a, that's a legitimate challenge, a legitimate question. I think you need to have a lot of trust with someone that you're talking to if you bring that up, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't bring that up first thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, there is, but there is some change in terms of the rhetoric about the one true church. They've, they've softened it. They've backed off of that a lot. And then there's the fact that there's increased diversity within the, within the Mormon church. Mm. So, okay. um, for example, um, a lot of influx of conversions to Mormonism comes from the um, Hispanic world, um, you know, oh. Latinx peoples, um, different Latin American countries, Central American, where they've had a, a good number of converts. Now, and even in the leadership, you're starting to see um, Hispanic peoples at the top echelons of the Mormon church. So there's diversity happening. So that's just one example. Um, but they've gone around the world, of course, with their mission program. And we're seeing more and more kind of international diversity. Uh, secondly, they're softening on things like um, the hard stand against um, same-sex relationships. So that not so long ago, a star athlete at Brigham Young University, the church-owned school uh, down in Provo, 45 minutes south of where I live, um, came out as being bisexual. And uh, though she said, I abide by the honor code of the school, which means I can't practice my sexuality, but I am bisexual by identity. And the church did not kick her out of school, didn't, <laughs> didn't um, remove her or anything. Um, they they uh, have found a way to try to finesse that issue so they can look like they're accepting okay. <laughs> of the you know, LGBTQ, you know, kind of uh, segment of society. Um, although they still do have a stand that, um, you know, this is not approved. <laughs> Sure. But, you know, there's some diversity going on within the ranks that you see that I, I don't think was there 20 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, I, that's, that's interesting. Um, a lot of that I didn't, I didn't really um, know. I, I know you had mentioned in your book, you know, with the One True Church, um, that, you know, as you speak, you know, uh, more of a heart language um, and kind of open up a little bit more transparency about the intimacy we have with with God and um, you you let that show I mean it, it kind of has I guess you know I don't mean this to be offensive but it kind of has more of a, a kind of a, a shaking effect of the foundations of if we're the one true church you know why is there um, you know a, a almost I guess seemingly a greater connection with God uh, than what we we can have, you know, and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's you know misconstruing things, you know, for somebody may feel, but um, for me, I just thought, man, that's 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 helpful, you know, if we can do a better job at not just articulating our faith, but showing um, 
the relationship, the depth of relationship we have, you know, and, and, uh, um, you know, do that well, you know, obviously we got to have a better relationship with Jesus and, you know, that, that area has to be in place for us, you know, Mm um, okay, so you did a, um, I was, this is an eye-opening part of your book, but you talked a lot about um, some of the things that are actually at stake um, for the Latter-day Saints. Uh, for So if, if somebody who's a Mormon becomes an evangelical Christian, there's actually things that, um, um, there, there's, there's some things at stake for them. Um, and uh, that they're kind of at risk of, I guess, losing or maybe some sort of um, uh, ostr- uh, being ostracized um, from the from the some some family and, and maybe even the church. Can you can you talk a little bit about what's at stake for an uh, uh, a Latter Day Saint to become, you know, a, a, a evangelical Christian or convert? Like what happens, and then. Um, a lot of churches don't exactly know how to approach somebody who's come from that background. And so how can a church be a safe harbor? Yeah, um, good questions again. Um, the first part of that, what's at stake? Um, it's one of those that draws an answer that starts with, it depends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it depends on what kind of uh, circles you traveled in when you were a Mormon. You're from a family that was very devout, very committed, practicing LDS. It'll be different from uh, if a person comes from a Jack Mormon household, um, they won't create many waves if they Mm -hmm. become Christians necessarily. Um, In most cases, uh, there are some exceptions. But if they come from a strong LDS household, they can face hostility, rejection, ostracism from family members, Hmm. as well as friends. They've been in a circle within their ward, uh, you know, the social, the the grouping of a congregation within the LDS church is what that refers to, the ward. People know them, have known their story all their lives, perhaps. They grew up in it in many cases, and they've, they've made strong bonds and attachments to people. And to suddenly say, I'm leaving, is it's a it's a big big deal it's it's a lot more than just choosing pepsi over coke (laughs) it's a big consequential decision in those cases and um and they will they will sometimes be rejected i know a case where people uh, that i've met locally um lost their home they lost their business um attached to uh, family business and they were kicked out of the family business. So, you know, the mm-hmm. whole job life was suddenly up for grabs. They, they were jobless and even their home was taken away from them. I mean, there are some things that are sometimes it's, it's pretty drastic, mm-hmm. um, but it's on a spectrum. As yeah. I said, you know, if, if it's a more relaxed or inactive Mormon household, there won't be as much of a, of a reaction as that. Sure, sure. Uh, the second um, part of your question, um, well, this is part of the first part as well. They, If they become an evangelical, they're stepping into the world of biblical people, people who are steeped in the Bible and living according to the Bible, living in the world of the Bible. 
but they have not been trained in Mormonism to read their Bibles um, in a way that honors the Bible for itself. They would they were trained to read their Bibles through a Mormon filter. Okay. So very often this is quite confusing to them, and they end up look sitting in on a Bible study or hearing a sermon, and saying, "Well, I don't know if I have understood that." that from the Bible of what that's saying, but then I'm not sure, I'm not sure what part of my understanding comes from my Mormon past and what part comes really from the Bible. Mm. And they have to do a lot of sorting out and kind of um, deprogramming from a non-biblical framework of training and reprogramming toward, you know, a biblical orientation and understanding. And that is something that um, it will take time. It'll sure. take years. And I would say to your second uh, question, how can we be a safe harbor for these people that are migrating into our churches? Uh, it, one of them is be very patient with them hmm. while they're reformulating what it means to have faith in the God of the Bible. They're reformulating what the Bible is all about and how to understand it. Have, have a lot of patience uh, with them. And go slowly and explain things along the way the best you can. Um, and give them, give them pastoral attention. One of the sad things I hear sometimes is when I was a Mormon, uh, you know, we had people visit us. We had home teachers come every Sunday afternoon, maybe, and visit us in our home. And we had all this, ah, yeah. this attention. But when I came to your church and I became an evangelical, Nobody came to visit us, and we felt kind of alone. <laughs> That's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, these people need care, and they need to be given attention and welcomed with open arms um, and cared for. So, I mean, that's maybe just a couple reflections in answer to those questions. Sure. I hope that helps. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's it. Um, that's one of the things that's been so um for for me, it was kind of a, a, a pivotal um, perspective to see that that uh, um, I mean, for anybody, you know, if anybody's going to come to Christ and come to my church, what I mean, obviously, Christ is the um, ultimate prize; he's the ultimate goal. Um, but if we're the body of Christ, what you know, what is it about us that is going to um, draw people and uh, um, I don't know, keep them? You know that you know if um, I, I I don't know exactly how to how to break that down, but I mean, is there something about about us that is really highlights one of those the the, the loving sacrificial characters of Christ mm -hmm. that would really strike home um, for people, you know? And if that's not there, yeah. man, that that's just going to become a revolving door. And um, that's right. And, you know, you even, you, I, I think you had mentioned that, you know, with, you know, the, uh, the, the younger Mormons, uh, when they go on their mission, that uh, there's, there's, a, there's, um, there's, there's some great incentives, you know, with college and, and even the potential of having, um, you know, some job security with getting jobs and, and stuff like that. If you, if you walk away, you lose that, you know, and yep. Um, I, I mean, college is expensive and, uh, you're, I mean, something to consider is you're asking somebody to throw away this free tuition, um, yeah. a, a great opportunity to get a, to get a career that you could raise a family. 
Um, you know, there should be some good, a good community to support somebody in making that gigantic uh, leap across um, across the pond. You know, I, I, I guess so. It is very much uh, the journey out of that church into a Christian church is a lot like the journey of an immigrant. Mm. It really is like immigration. You're moving from one comfort zone to another, one world of you know where you were at home you had your circles you were familiar with and all that to a strange place and you have to relearn things and (laughs) you know learn a whole new world to be comfortable with yeah it's it's like a journey of of an immigrant wow wow that's a good perspective um david rowe this has been fantastic um i'm 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 really excited to have this interview with you so more people know about this book um, it really is uh, a game changer. I know it was for me. Uh, is there any last things that you, that you want to say on this topic or maybe um, highlight um, uh, kind of your work you're doing right now? Uh, well, I just think, you know, the last thing I said about being an immigrant, it's, it's really fascinating to me. And I would encourage this among your listeners and yourself and your church. Um, listen to these people when you meet them and hear their stories. Listen to the immigrant stories. They are fascinating and we can learn from them. You know what uh, we have this coming Sunday. In fact, we are baptizing three people that have come out of the LDS church and into our church um, to receive the gospel. And um, I've, I, I always, when I first meet these people, I say, well, give me your story. How, how did this happen? What happened? And in this case, you know, it's something, a positive side of the pandemic. They started watching our church services online. God was already working in their lives. Um, and these two brothers and their mother, uh, that's, you know, most of the family there, um, they came to know Christ and um, are now uh, wanting to be baptized as Christians. Uh, you know, just hear their stories. Um, this one, one of the brothers said, Mormonism is essentially a religion of the self. Hmm. If you believe yourself is the nature of is God in embryo and you're going to become God someday, if you just work hard, it's all about you and how, what your effort does. And Christianity is God-oriented. Yeah. You know, we, it's not self-oriented. And that was the major compelling thing to him, see that difference. And he wanted, he wanted the security of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior mm-hmm. and giving himself over yeah, yeah. to him and, uh, you know, turning away from just self-reliance. So, I mean, they're just, I could tell other stories as well, but, I, but you know, we're coming to a conclusion or a close. And I would just say, listen to their stories and learn from them. Well, David, that's been great, and uh, um, thanks for taking time to uh, talk with our audience about your book and a little bit about your story. I appreciate it. Now, Skylar, I enjoyed every minute. Thanks for asking me. For me, the topic on Mormonism is not just a theological topic. It's personal, it's spiritual, it's real. David's book and our conversation have been so rich and clarifying. 
I really hope that you walk away from this conversation with a little bit more compassion and love uh, toward the LDS. And I hope if you're LDS, that you walk away from this conversation with a little bit more curiosity about biblical Christianity. David Rowe's book is called I Love Mormon, subtitled A New Way to Share Christ with Latter-day Saints. Next on our podcast is my interview with John Marriott on the rise and anatomy of deconversion among Christians. Well, I hope that this conversation today has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time.